episode 60 of our weekly Cricket Her vodcast. Last weekend um, we were fortunate to be able to watch four different counties in action. Um, so we watched Essex v Kent on the Saturday in the London Championship and then we watched Sussex v Hampshire in Brighton on the Monday. Um, so we have now seen six counties in total this season, Sid, um, and you had kind of been reflecting in last week's podcasts on the advantages that you thought that the system, the new kind of um, professional regional setup had brought to, to many of the players. Um, having seen a little bit more domestic cricket now, is that still your reflection? Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. I think that the that the the regional players that we're seeing, we've seen you know some good step ups. We saw a, a great contribution from Joe Gardner, for example, mm-hmm. um, in the Essex v Kent game. Um, you know she uh, has been a professional for you know only you know seven or eight months now, um, but I think that you know you saw in her the the way that you know she's standing up and you know making her contribution count for Essex there. So I think that that was a, was a, was a great example of that. I think that um, I do. I'm starting to have a little bit more of a nuanced take overall, though. I think that one thing we need to we need to bear in mind is that you know where we're getting to is you know it's it's a journey. There's still a long way to go, and we need to you know be careful of putting too much pressure on these these new professionals. And remember that you know we're not where Australia are still. Mm-hmm. We're Austra- where where Australia were four years ago. Um, you know, and the. The, the quality is really going to come out over the next four years. So we need to be a little bit careful, I think. And I perhaps I was a little bit guilty of getting overexcited about things. And we need to just kind of ensure that we don't put too much pressure on those players to you know, expect them to be playing for England, you know, within a year or whatever. You know, that sort of thing's going to come over time. So that's important. Um, the other thing that's given me a little bit of pause um, was one performance that, we, that we've seen uh, over the last few weeks, which has stood out head and shoulders above everything else we've seen. Um, by far the best of the the non-England contracted players. Um, uh, of course, the, the actual England players haven't been playing in these these county games. Um, has been a player that played for England a few years ago, uh, walked away from cricket um, seven or eight years ago, spent a load of time playing, focusing on hockey, uh, and has only just come back to cricket. Um, you know, Raf, if Susie Rowe was ten years younger, we'd be going, oh my God, put a ring for England right now. Um, you know, what, what are your thoughts on Susie Rowe? And... Yeah, um, it was great to see her performing so well last weekend, wasn't it? Um, and, you know, she effectively won the game for Kent um, in the end. Um, and I think that what it comes down to is that it's partly a bit of a generational thing in that there were a few players of, of Susie Rowe's generation who really retired um, ahead of where we might expect them to do so now in what's become a much more professional setup subsequently. So another example would be Holly Colvin. Um, who retired kind of in her mid-twenties when actually, you know, she was still pretty much one of the, or, you know, potentially even the best spin bowler in England at that time. Um, And she carried on playing domestic cricket for a couple of years afterwards and she absolutely lit up the Women's County Championship. We were lucky to get to see her a few times after she retired from England duty. Um, And and actually, probably, if Holly Colvin came back to England tomorrow and, um, you know, picked up the ball again and and started bowling in the nets, she would probably be be selected for at least five of the eight regional sides because that's the amount of enormous natural talent that she has 
and that she had as a player. And I think that the same goes for somebody like Susie Rowe, really. It's all about that natural talent that they had. They weren't in a setup where they were getting kind of the access to the top quality coaching that a lot of the players are getting now, or the kind of frequency of training and, and everything else that, that the players are getting now. So, you know, it was ultimately their natural talent that shone through, and that was a sort of generational thing. Obviously, we will see that less and less now, I think, because um, there are the, oh, there is the, now the availability of these contracts and, and I think that players will therefore stay in the game um, and will be able to enjoy their best years in the game you know in their late 20s early 30s they'll stay in a lot longer um, and they will kind of reap the benefits of that new system so we won't be seeing the likes of your Susie Rose and your Holly Colvins in the, in the same way and that's that's probably a step forward. Um, as far as kind of Susie Rowe herself goes, um, I think that it's great to see her back in, in cricket um, and great to see her still able to kind of turn it on like that. And I was actually quite surprised because we interviewed her after the game and she we said to her, oh, you know, we're, we're looking forward to seeing you in the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy. And she said, oh, well, the selections for that haven't actually been made. So it's all a little bit uncertain. And I don't know whether she was just being modest, um, but if... If the South East Stars aren't picking her to play in the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy, then they're absolutely mad because she's still one of the best batters in the country and she showed that last weekend. So that's my take on it, really. Now, the other thing that we saw this week was um, there was... So the England players, as you say, haven't been playing county cricket, but there was a warm-up match that I believe took place behind closed doors at Loughborough. And it was a kind of um, inter-squad match almost. Um, it was the England versus... Um, an England A team um, and there were some some really good performances so um, Heather Knight for England made 92 um, however the England A side ended up winning the match pretty easily which was quite interesting and and really um, some excellent performances from Lauren Winfield Hill in particular who made 140 off 131 balls um, George Adams made a half century um, and then Sophia Dunkley coming in um, made 40 not out um, and Sophia Dunkley as well um, last weekend we were watching her um, via a live stream um, for the, the stars via the academy and she made a century in that match um, and was kind of a bit of a star for the stars we get worded there Sid um, so some really interesting performances going on and especially in the light of the fact that we aren't too far away from the international season starting now Sid and obviously that's going to kick off with the the test at Bristol against India um, in early June or mid-June it's really exciting so is that going to make any difference so far the performances that we've made to the to the 11 that England might field in the test um, and potentially to to their squads for the entire international summer yeah, it was really interesting, wasn't it? And what was most interesting about that match is often these inter-squad matches, they divide up the players and so you'll have some of the best players in one team and some of the best players in the other team. Whereas when looking at those sides, it really was very much like this is the England side that if the test was being played tomorrow, we'd probably play. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, this is, um, you know, the rest. Um, and yet it was perhaps slightly concerning for England that they... that they got well beaten by their own A side. I mean, I think that a lot of that does come down to, to Lauren Winfield-Hill's contribution, obviously. If you take out her scoring 140 not out, then, um, you know, they might well have been a situation where they'd have gotten bowled out there and they wouldn't have achieved that. So it shows that, you know, she's still she's still got it. Um, but I do wonder whether it's actually really going to make any difference at, at the stage of her career. It's obviously an important part of the England squad, um, and, um, you know, should somebody get injured, then, you know, she's 
you know, very high up the, 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 the pecking order in order to replace them. But unless there's an injury to somebody like Tammy Beaumont uh, or Danny Wyatt, I, I can't see them changing course on her. I think the one person that the, this, the, those kind of performances do really benefit is Sophia Dunkley. I think if Sophia Dunkley had come into this season and you know got a row of ducks and then gone into that uh, England A game and got out, you know, faced twenty balls and made three and then got out, then that you know would have potentially had people looking at it going, oh, maybe she's not really ready. Whereas the fact that she's coming in and performing, um, you know, early season, it, it doesn't necessarily prove anything, but it does prove that you know she's achieving something, and I think that that makes the case for her to be a part of that that India series. And I think where we are now, we're really surprised that she's not part of the squad. Whether she makes the eleven for the test in particular, you know, that's there are some difficult calls mm -hmm. there for England to make about the balance of their team, and I think that that will very much come down to the balance of their team, particularly rather than necessarily the quality of the particular players involved. Um, I think but yeah, one thing so. I really one thing I really like and really admire about Sophia Dunkley is that she um, almost to some extent when she isn't selected for England or when she isn't getting those opportunities for England she really does um, take that into her domestic cricket and use it to kind of fuel um, her making lots of runs to almost kind of she has that attitude of well I'm going to show the selectors what they're missing and I think we really saw that in 2019 which is obviously the last full season of cricket that was played in this country um, when she wasn't selected for the England squad um, for the Ashes but she went out and, and hit a load of runs in county cricket and good on her so she's kind of showing that a little bit now, isn't she? Um, but hopefully the result this time will be that she is selected for England and maybe gets a run in the ODI side, which she hasn't yet had the opportunity to experience. I do think that you're potentially wrong about Lauren Winfield-Hill. Um, I think that people often forget that up until a few years ago, she was England's kind of regular 50-over opener. And indeed, that was the role that she did for most of the 2017 World Cup. So I can't see any reason why um, potentially they don't um, whack her in either in at the top of the order in the test or in the 50 over series against India. If she's scoring bags of runs, then um, and she's making a good case to, to get her old spot back at the top of the order, potentially. Um, and we all know what Danny Wyatt can do in, in T20 cricket, um, a really, really powerful batter. Um, but... You know, if there's another, um, if there's somebody else who's making more of a case in slightly longer form cricket, then you know, I think that she she could have every chance of, of potentially being selected. But shall we shall we come back in in a few weeks' time and and decide who's right? Yeah, no, I I, I think that there's it's definitely true that she's making that case. I think that the, that the big thing that's that counts against her, if you like, is that she's not the future in the way that Sophia Dunkley is. Okay. You know, Sophia, Sophia Dunkley is someone whose England career is ahead of her, whereas even in the best case scenario, Lauren Winfield's Hill, most of her England career is probably behind her right now. So, you know, I think that, that therefore, you know, throwing someone in, um, in Sophia Dunkley's situation is something that they're more likely to do. Okay. But we'll see. We'll have to see. Now, there's been some other big news this week relating to the Women's 100, or the 100 Women's Competition, I should say, um, and that is that four Indians are definitely going to be participating in it. Um, the BCCI have issued them with these important no-objection certificates, as I believe they're known, um, and so it's the, the same four players who featured in the Kia Super League will be playing in the Women's 100, um, and that is Harmanpreet Kaur, um, Smriti Mandana, um, Jemima Rodriguez and Dipti Sharma. 
Um, so some really interesting selections there, although I guess the big player um, or the big name that we might have expected to see in the list who isn't at the moment is Shafali Verma. Um, but the report on Crickinfo very much suggested that she would be kind of first reserve in the event, which potentially actually unfortunately is quite likely that um, some of or you know, one or, or multiple of the existing overseas players um, will decide not to travel to England or won't be able to travel to England because of COVID restrictions. So I think it's probably quite likely that we will see Shafali Verma in the 100 as well. So great to see Indians in the 100, Sid. Yeah, well, I think that there's, there's, first of all, it's a huge positive that the Indians are still coming. So there's still, uh, you know, plans are obviously still going ahead for the Indians to visit and to play their international series and to play in the 100. Um, because, you know, with the, the crisis, you know, and our hearts go out, you know, every day we, we look at the news on mm. India and it's just awful, um, you know, and with the IPL being cancelled, there are obviously more concerns that maybe that couldn't go ahead. But clearly at the moment, the plan is for that to go forward. And I, I hope that, that people see that as good news that, you know, that cricket can bring people, you know, bring people together and bring a bit of you know, positivity to, to the world at the moment. So I think that that's great. Um, and, you know, it's great to have four more, you know, quality players playing playing in the 100. Um, I think it's interesting that, that we've, we see the, the, the kind of connections that have been built up from the Super League, you know, kind of repeating themselves. We see um, Harman Preet's gone up to Lancashire, um, where she's played before. Um, Manchester Jamima, Originals. Uh, Jamima has gone to uh, Yorkshire, where she played in the Super League. Um, so uh, Dipti, uh, Dipti's gone to the London Spirit rather than the Western Storm, but of course it's the same coach, it's Trevor Griffin. Um, so all three of them have kind of used their existing mm. links, um, you know, and they're obviously working with people that know them and feel comfortable mm. with them. Um, and Smriti going down to Southern Brave, well, you know, there are worse places for her to be than um, with, the, with the Brave, I think. Um, and I say that as a Vipers fan that I guess is going to be, you know, become a Brave fan by default. So, and it all... would take a brave man not to. <laughs> Very good, Sid. I can see you coming up with some brilliant headlines over the summer. Watch out for those. Um, it's interesting that um, it's, uh, the, the selection of the particular Indian players um, does also re reflect this kind of um, what's potentially going to end up being um, even more dominance of batters um, over bowlers in the 100 competition. Um, obviously, with it being... Um, a, a shorter format um, it's even more necessary to kind of have people um, who can you know hit it hard and hit it far and and score at a quick rate um, and also I guess um, potentially from a from a bowling perspective you want somebody who I think that Dipti Sharma does represent this kind of bowler um, somebody who can bowl a lot of dot balls is really even more necessary isn't it in the hundred rather than somebody who's going to take wickets um, yeah, the hundred is some one of the nuances that's that's going to come out. I think is the fact that the bowlers have even less chance to make an impact. Then they've got. I mean, we, you can go. Oh, they've got four balls less than they have in a twenty twenty. But that four balls represents a significant percentage of what they're going to do over the season. Um, and it becomes even more about you know the batters hitting the big runs and the bowlers being there to just be you know the cannon fodder for that. Um, and you know if you're being cannon fodder, you know what you actually want to do is to you know make sure that that you're not that. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's going to be a, a crucial skill for bowlers to bowl dot balls. Um, you know, is that is, is that going to make the hundred more exciting, though, Raf? Yeah, it's slightly at odds with the ECB's vision for the hundred, isn't it? Because um, what they think that people want to see is, you know, bish bash bosh, 
um, lots of sixes and um, lots of kind of, you know, when they, they, people hit a six and they, those flames go in the air and it's all, ooh. Um, so that's what they want to see. Whereas from the team's perspective, you want your bowlers to be bowling dot balls. Yeah, you want the bowlers to be making it really boring. Really boring. As boring as possible. Yeah. So there's a bit of a conflict there, <laughs> but we'll see. Yeah. Anyway, I'm looking very much looking forward to seeing those Indian players in action. And we, you know, we still hope that they'll be joined by players from Australia and South Africa and elsewhere for the 100 this summer. Um, and finally this week, um, we had the news through that um, Claire Connor has personally gone up to Lords and with her bare hands torn down the Grace Gates to build a statue of Rachel Hayho Flint. That's right, isn't it, Raph? Did you read that in the Daily Mail? Yes. Yeah. Um, Is it not? <laughs> it's not quite accurate, um, okay. but there's kind of some semblance of the truth in there, in the sense of um, obviously there's been this this story doing the rounds this week, um, that appara- but apparently it's been development for quite a long time, and it's a little bit of a storm in the teacup that um, Claire Connor obviously is going to be taking over the MCC presidency in October, is making plans um, and is kind of developing plans to erect a statue of Rachel Hayhoe Flint at Lords, um, and then there are a couple of um, angry MCC members saying that they don't think that this should happen. <laughs> That's just to, to summarise roughly, yeah, roughly what was said. But yeah. Very good impression, thank you. Um, but uh, as as far as we are now aware, um, there are also plenty of MTC members who are in support, so perhaps it's been slightly blown out of proportion. Um, but there was a, an interesting blog from an MCC member who had a kind of slightly different perspective to the ones that were reported in, I think it was the Times who ran this big story, um, because the, the people in the Times were kind of saying, oh, you know, why should we have her because she's a woman? Why should we have a statue of her? Um, and obviously that's complete nonsense. But I did think that this particular blog by an MCC member was interesting. It was a bit of an alternative perspective. I'll just read out um, a quote. And he said, my objection is that Rachel Hayhoe Flint was in opposition to the necessary exclusion of South Africa from international cricket in the 1970s and beyond. Um, so for anyone who isn't aware, which probably most people would be, um, in response to this kind of apartheid system that um, that was um, in place in South Africa, um, in the 1970s there was and, 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 and beyond, there was an international sporting boycott of South Africa instituted globally. Um, and the idea was to try and put pressure on the South African government um, to end this regime and to kind of hit them where it hurt because of the importance that South Africa, that, that sport holds to kind of South African cultural life. Um, and, you know, there's various arguments about um, the extent to which it kind of did contribute to the eventual fall um, of that horrendous regime. Um, but it's certainly true that, and I don't think it's particularly um, talked about or well known by, by people, that, that Rachel Hayo Flint um, was um, kind of against this, this sporting boycott. Um, and um, you know, she did write in her autobiography that she felt that sport and politics shouldn't mix um, and that um, you know, the, the government shouldn't be interfering in, in um, people's kind of freedom and free right to go and play in South Africa if they wanted to. Um, and she did support the, um, the kind of unofficial tours, women's tours that took place 
um, of South Africa in the late 1970s and, and early 1980s before um, the Women's Cricket Association kind of put their foot down and, and put a stop to it. Um, so that's certainly true that that was an opinion that she held and I do think that um, we need to perhaps talk about when we're talking about erecting statues of people we perhaps need to talk about them in more nuanced terms I don't think it's necessarily um, a great idea to um, kind of see anyone as in and I think that each of us are flawed in our individual ways um, and we often think of um, erecting statues of people and we see them as kind of heroes or heroines and, and people who are wonderful and we should admire and that is that is true and that is true of Rachel Hayhoe Flint, she did an enormous amount of good for women's cricket. Um, she, she does also have, you know, she did also have flaws as, as a person and she did also hold views that um, we might not necessarily agree with but that doesn't necessarily negate the fact that she um, you know would be seen by many people as worthy of a statue in her own right um, so I just think that it's an interesting kind of element to the to this whole debate um, that's obviously been very kind of alive um, in the last year or so um, about who we should be recognising in this way and why we should be recognising them. It does feel sometimes as well, Raph, as if um, as if Rachel Hayo Flint is sometimes seen as the, the only woman that ever played cricket prior to the sort of the professionalisation of England and, you know, before Charlotte Edwards decided to first pick up a bat in 20, <laughs> 2015, uh, Rachel Hayo Flint was the only person who'd ever done so. Yeah. And that's not really true, is it? And that's not fair on, a, on you know, an awful lot of other women that came before. Who else might we have a statue of? Uh, yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And, and I suppose that's one of the reasons for me doing what I do and trying to make the history a bit more well known and a bit a bit more visible um, because there are plenty of other women um, and as you say Rachel Hayhoe Flint does already have a lot of public recognition we've now got the Rachel Hayhoe Flint trophy which is brilliant um, there are I think there's an ECB award and an ICC award named after her um, and so you know there are already um, plenty of kind of um, sort of public memorials to her um, that's not to say that she shouldn't have a statue, but it, it would be nice to see um, some of the other kind of really important women in the history of the sport recognised. A couple of years ago, I was lucky enough to be at the Oval when they opened their Jan Britton room in the pavilion. Um, so they now have a, a room that's you know a, a permanent um, recognition of, of um, the great contribution that Jan Britton made to Surrey cricket and to women's cricket. And I think that's that you know that more clubs should follow Surrey's example there. Um, I think that there are plenty of other people who we might consider, um, you know, who are really kind of important movers and shakers both on the field and behind the scenes in women's cricket. Um, you know, people like um, Molly Hyde, um, Netta Reinberg, Audrey Collins, um, those kind of people who, without whom women's cricket wouldn't have got to the stage that it was at. Um, in a way, when Rachel Hayhoe Flint kind of first came into the scene, sort of in the in the 1960s and 90s. 1970s and really made a difference herself um, but I think it's, it's important that other people are recognised as well so that's that's my view on the whole thing okay anyway I think that's pretty much it for this week thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you in a week's time bye for bye. now bye